Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to the Criterion Chat. Tis the season for our sixth annual Christmas wishlist episode, where we make our list, check it twice, and offer the Criterion Collection something nice. I'm Nate Myers, joined by co-host Matt Peterson, as well as first-time caller, long-time listener, Brian Pyrus. Each of us will offer our ideas for one classic and one contemporary film to be included in the collection, along with our thoughts on supplements and cover art to make each of these dreamed releases the ideal stocking stuffer for cinephiles. So pour some whiskey into your hot cocoa and join us as we spend the hour with Yuletide Merriment. Well, gentlemen, it's good to have you with us here for our Christmas wishlist episode. Matt, uh, we've been doing this now for our sixth year, and we yeah. have a special guest with us this time of Brian Pyrus, an old friend of ours and a supporter of our work with Blind by Media and, of course, with our podcast that started it all. So, Brian, why don't you introduce yourself to our vast array of fans? One of our paid supporters, right? <laughs> you do pay me quite a bit, uh, but it's all worth it. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me, guys. Um, what can I say? I'm, as you said, a longtime fan, uh, mostly of the two of you, uh, but also of your work. Uh, and it's it's nice to be here discussing film with you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. We've all been friends uh, for over 20 years at this point, so it's uh, it's been... Uh, Fun having many conversations, and Brian, excited to have you joining us for the first time here tonight. Thanks very much. Well, I think we, our fans owe, are owed us jumping straight in here to this hotly anticipated annual treat where we pick out our different wish lists for the Criterion Collection. Matt, I thought I'd start with you, and maybe what we can all do is we'll go around and we'll pick our contemporary picks first. So, Matt, would you like to share with us what is your contemporary pick that you'd like to see added to the Criterion Collection? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this is a film that I'm a huge fan of. It's one of my favorite films of the early 21st century. It is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Uh, so this is a film directed by Andrew Dominic and came on in 2007 starring Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. So the the film tells the tale of, not surprisingly, the assassination of Jesse James. And it's just become one of my favorite films uh, over the past few years in particular. Uh, it's really garnered a cult following as well. I know the film uh, has been celebrated by a lot of critics, but it seems like it's really gained a lot of attention in recent years. There's been rumors of an extended cut out there that has never been released. And I think just talking about the film itself, uh, stylistically, very, very unique, beautiful cinematography by Roger Deakins, right? I think it's one of his uh, best films in terms of his, his work as a DP. And uh, the tone of the film is... is just very striking. Uh, it's a very meditative film. Uh, it's definitely on the long side, but a really interesting portrait of not only the man, Jesse James, but more so uh, Robert Ford, right? So Casey Affleck's character and just the the theme of hero worship, uh, the theme of celebrity and wanting to be famous and wanting to be close to those who are famous. Uh, the film explores those themes very powerfully. Uh, also has a great score by uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Very memorable. And it's just a film that I think deserves more attention and definitely a better home video release. The initial release by Warner Brothers is pretty lackluster. Uh, the transfer is not that great. Uh, has quite a bit of uh, edge enhancement and pretty compressed i think they only released on a single layer blu-ray which is pretty strange and it only has one feature ad so uh something i'd love to see criterion take on 
in terms of special features, you know, if, if an extended cut of this film does exist, I think, um, yeah, obviously we'd want to include that. I don't necessarily think the film needs an extended cut. I mean, it's still, you know, it's already pretty long. Uh, I don't really have a big problem with the original version of the film. I think it uh, stands beautifully just the way it is. Uh, but if Dominic does have an alternate cut, that would be great to include here. And definitely a lot of room for interesting supplements, uh, commentary with Roger Deakins and uh, Andrew Dominic would be fantastic. And Terrence Malick uh, actually famously called this film uh, too long or too slow after <laughs> Andrew Dominic uh, showed it to him. And since Malick is seemingly less camera shy these days than he used to be, uh, it would be interesting if he somehow managed to offer an interview for this film. Uh, but also a retrospective, uh, or at least a documentary, on Jesse James himself and the real-life events surrounding his death would be, I think, appropriate. Uh, in terms of cover art, yeah, you know, I think a, a stylized, kind of drawn cover similar to old Western um, kind of those pulp novels that we see in the film would be pretty interesting. It would make for uh, a striking package. But, uh, yeah, I I don't think you guys are as big of fans of this film uh, as I am, but something that I think Criterion could really do, uh, do justice. It's a beautiful film. Uh, I mean, just the cinematography, like you said, is absolutely fantastic. And I definitely have... I always liked the film. I don't know if I've ever quite taken a personal shine to it the way you did, Matt, but I do think it would be right up Criterion's alley to do a release like this. And I think, if I recall correctly, wasn't the original version of this, or at least the original edit of it, over three hours in length? Yeah, and I think that's kind of that rumored extended cut, right, that that seems yeah. to be floating out there. So probably like maybe another half hour that isn't included in the original yeah. film, I'm guessing, but... Yeah, I think I think it could be kind of a cool thing to to see this with a better transfer because Deacon's work in this was career best kind of work. I mean, it really is some of the best thing best he's ever shot. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, there are a few sequences in this film that are just mind blowing. I mean, I always think of that the train robbery sequence early on, uh, that nighttime train robbery, and the use of of the uh, the lighting from the train. Just fantastic work and. There was a podcast done actually fairly recently on Deacon's podcast with uh, Greg Frazier, the cinematographer uh, who shot Dune and Rogue One. And uh, Greg was interviewing Deacon's, and they focused on this film in particular. So and maybe that's another supplement worth including on the disc. Uh, so that, there is some kind of quasi-commentary material out there from Deacon's himself on this picture, uh, if, if people are willing to dig. But, yeah, it would be nice to... Uh, to get it all in one package. I'm kind of shocked that you haven't actually picked this before. I mean, I, I know how much you like this film. Um, and it is gorgeous. Yeah, it kind of slipped through the cracks the last few years. I, I It occurred to me, and then for some reason I kept overlooking it, so I, I thought it was time to to get it out there. Yeah, yeah. I've only seen it the once, you know, back whenever it came out. And uh, you know, as you said, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I definitely do not think it needs an extra 30 minutes. Um, but it is one that I've kind of always been meaning to watch again. Uh, it seems like something that would be better on a rewatch. You get more out of it. Yeah, it's definitely grown on me with, with subsequent viewings. So uh, I think the first time you just get so bowled over by the imagery uh, that you miss a lot of the other nuances in the picture. But it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely one that, that uh, rewards revisiting. So. I think what's great about this film is to think of it as, you know, again, the the Western genre, right? And Criterion has, a, I think, a fairly good love of the Western genre. Things like uh, Heaven's Gate are in there and um, um, the sta- Stagecoach, uh, the, the Shooting, uh, you know, these just different films that have been in there, uh, you know, and so it would fit in with that aspect of kind of showing itself as a part of this anti-western you know the the, it's a pretty good example of that genre and so it's i think that's kind of what i always remember most about this film is how 
the particularly the shootout scene when they have the guy come into the cabin and they're at point blank range but they keep missing each other just that certain kind of accuracy to the way which gunfights took place back in the wild west uh i think is a really well captured aspect of this film quite quite neat Mm -hmm. well brian i think we'll pass on you for right now since you can uh be you're still a rookie here so i'm gonna go ahead and i'll i'll take the next one here yeah, show me how it's done. All right, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a way better job than Matt just did, uh, just so you know. Oof. I need something to learn from, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, close to the same era, uh, 2006, The Lives of Others, uh, which is the Academy Award-winning German film by Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, uh, which is his feature film debut. This is a film that uh, drew a lot of critical acclaim as well as political acclaim it's a film that's been cited by uh nicholas zarkozy uh it was referenced quite repeatedly by different people after the uh 2013 mass surveillance disclosures supposedly edward snowden was influenced or inspired by uh this film as well in terms of just its portrayal of the surveillance state uh Somebody on the far right, like uh, William F. Buckley, said he thought it was the greatest film he has ever seen. And others on the far left, uh, such as uh, Peter Travers, uh, have said it's also one of the greatest films they've seen, right? So it's it's a film that has been very universally, apl- uh, uh, been very universally uh, hailed. Uh, and I think it cuts across a lot of different uh, elements of uh, politics and of uh, culture to get at some great human truths. Uh, so for those who don't know what this is, uh, The Lives of Others tells the story of East Germany in 1984, where a Stasi spy is ordered to survey a playwright named Georg Dreymann, who has uh, a lover that his boss is actually uh, sweet on and wants to learn more about her and about this playwright in order to break up that relationship and then to have this uh, lover, played by Martina Gedek, uh, become uh, his own lover. And so it's a wonderful examination of the way spying impacts the spy as well as just look at how this culture would impact uh, the people as a whole and it was uh, hailed as kind of the the first film to really show why it uh, what happened kind of under that sort of totalitarian communist regime in East Germany there's certainly been some criticism of it uh, some people saying that it wasn't as uh, as thorough in its examination of that culture and of that surveillance state as it should have been some people saying it, takes some liberties you know the the playwright of georg is uh shown as perhaps having a little bit too much liberty than would have actually ever been the case for somebody in that environment but those are things that i guess i can't really comment on as far how accurate it may or may not have been to conveying it but when you watch the film i think it does a great job of conveying a certain era of very recent history uh and it also marks a kind of an important voice uh, for the German people, if you're looking at world cinema, really articulating an experience for them. And it was one of the breakthrough films that really made it into kind of a, uh, kind of a world consciousness uh, of the last 20 years here. So that's why I would think of it as a fairly important film from a uh, contemporary standpoint. Um, and it's also, I think, one of the things that uh, is kind of universally applicable. So, you know, we can think of this now just with social media and the privacy concerns that people might have about it. I think the film speaks a lot to questions that people are having all around them about the ethics of something as simple as Google spying on its customers uh, in order to get information for them, right? Uh, so I think it's going to be even more and more applicable as our technology progresses and I think it's going to continue to be something that people can learn from. Uh, as far as what I would say for supplemental features, the original DVD has a commentary by uh, Henkel von Donnersmark and uh, I think would be good to port over if they can get the rights to it. There's also some deleted scenes for the film. Uh, I would like to see a new documentary being made uh, that just sort of details how art was or wasn't allowed in the communist uh, regime of East Germany. And 
really kind of helping, I think, audiences to know whether it was from the plays, journalism, whatever it might be, just the way that the the state would have influenced what could or couldn't be produced. And I think that'd be something that'd be very telling and fitting with this particular film as well, uh, to get a little bit more of a historical perspective on things. And then I think it'd be good to get uh, particular interviews with some of the cast. Uh, the Hauptmann, who is the spy in it, Ulrich Mühe, is the actor. I would be very interested in hearing him talk about how he created his performance. It's a, it's a powerful performance about how he goes through a slight transition as he goes through the spying uh, of this and the way he drew out that characterization. So I think those would be some good sp special features for this. And as for the uh, cover art, what I think would be great would be just to have a close-up of the uh, headset that is used to spy on, that uh, Gerd Wiesler, the Hauptmann, uh, uses in it. I think it'd be cool to have just a close-up of the, the the headset as the cover art for it. Very stark uh, and gets at the heart of what the film is all about. I actually almost picked this. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been embarrassing. You know, it's, it's only a matter of time before we eventually do pick the same movie. Yeah. Have you seen this, Brian? I have, again, um, around the time it came out. So I don't remember it very well, but I liked it very much when I saw it. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. I haven't seen it in a few years now, and I should really revisit it. But um, very powerful, right? I, and the, I, Nate, you you pronounce the the main star's name uh, quite appropriately. It seems. Do you want to say his name again for me? The the, the actor or the character? The actor, <laughs> Ulrich Mühe. Thank you. Yeah, he is. Did you uh, practice that? What's that? I took German. I, that, oh, yeah, sure. that's right. I have to defer to the the proper pronunciation here. I, what a just revelation his performance is in this movie. I mean, um, he's so just cold and calculating. I, I was thinking that scene early on when he's uh, instructing those students about surveillance and and uh, you know listening to fellow citizens and someone in his class asks a perfectly reasonable ethical question. Right. And he's so alarmed by this that they, he makes a little check mark on the class roster next to this, this kid's name and just how a tiny little action like that just is so revealing in terms of how insidious that state is or, or was, I should say. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's a masterful film, and, and I'm glad you picked it. Yeah, very deserving pick. Uh, you know, some of these, it's kind of surprising that they're not already in the collection. Um, it, these both seem like very obvious choices. What I think is also interesting about this film is that it's it was part of a series that was taking place. Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the, the movie Goodbye Lenin. It came out a couple years before this. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, and it's just it was the same idea, you know, kind of showing the very end of East Germany, but with a comedic perspective. And this was the film that I think showed it from a dramatic perspective and kind of got at some of the pain of what that reality was that people lived under for so long, which is partly why I think it's important. It's it's not just important in terms of the cinematic accomplishment here, but I think in terms of just the historical documentation that it offers. And this brings us, Brian, now. If you're for your your rookie pick here, so all eyes are on you, and uh, Matt is ready to pounce. Uh, so, what is well, your pick? I'm afraid you're both going to pounce, and I sort of wish we had started with the classic picks, um, <laughs> because I think Matt may have pounced on that as well. But the problem with my contemporary pick is it's cheating. Um, and Nate, I told you prior to recording this a couple days ago that I was thinking of cheating, and you kind of gave me the go ahead. So I'm going to blame you um but it's cheating in multiple ways because for one i'm picking multiple films and two most of them have been released on criterion already but okay so you're never going to have me on this podcast again my contemporary <laughs> i'm just curious is, do you do know the idea of a wish list is to put something on there that's not already in there right well okay y yes but okay i think you're going to get on board with this so my pick is a Criterion uh, 4K box set of Wes Anderson. Um, 
so I love Wes Anderson's films. He is one of my favorite directors. And obviously he has a good relationship with Criterion. Um, and this box set would include one Wes Anderson film that has not yet been released on Criterion, which is Isle of Dogs. So, um, you know, there you go. And you could even include <laughs> the French Dispatch, right? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, I assume that one is coming. Um, but yes, absolutely, would agree and would want to include that as well. Um, and I think I mentioned to you guys recently that I think this would be great. I mean, just his films are so... Uh, lush, they're so colorful, uh, it would be really awesome to see them in a 4K uh, transfer uh, HDR. Um, it would look beautiful. Um, you know, I think this could sort of count as a classic pick as well, but, you know, since these go back into the 90s, uh, but hopefully you'll still let me do a classic pick, uh, despite my cheating here. Um, but, I, you know, Criterion has at least a, a handful of box sets that are available, right? Um, I think this would be a great one. Uh, as far as special features, um, I would love to see uh, kind of a new, I don't know if it would be a documentary, but just kind of a retrospective on his career so far. Um, you know, they have so many features from all the other releases that simply including those would be great, but a, a new retrospective would be a nice feature. Um, and as for art, I was thinking that a, a kind of collage, uh, just kind of combining all of his movies and characters on, uh, on the box set would look really cool. Um, they have really wonderful art for all of the, the releases that they've, they've had so far. And, um, just kind of an original piece combining a lot of his movies. I think would be really neat for the box. In the same artistic style, you think, or a different? Yeah, absolutely. Style? Okay. Yeah, kind of that yeah, hand-drawn no, look. That. Exactly. Right. All right. So, am I fired from the podcast? You're no, out. No, you're not. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked about this, Matt, about whether or not to do because we we have thought of like doing box sets before. So this isn't yeah. totally a cheat, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. I almost talked about a, a Kurosawa box set, so. It, yeah, it's definitely a uh, fair game, I think, especially since there's a couple titles that aren't in the collection yet. Right. And I don't know if all of his shorts have been released. I assume that they have, but I don't know. Um, and if they haven't, you know, throwing those on a bonus disc would, would be a nice special feature as well. Yeah, it strikes me this release would be really all about the packaging and the presentation. I mean, not all about it, but uh, it would have to be something pretty special it, just in terms of how the box sets like constructed right and how the packaging mm -hmm. uh would have to be sort of elaborate and uh visually precious like all his films are right exactly yeah you you imagine the uh the you know the, the still shots of something unfolding in one of his films and and the you need a to be able to have a little youtube video showing uh you know opening up this box and laying it out. Um, it strikes me as like you could do it almost like it was a, um, like it was a, a like a, a treasure chest and you open it up and then you'd have, you know, like each of the packaging of the individual films could be something inspired by the specific movie. So Moonrise Kingdom could, for example, be packaged as though it were a record uh, uh, disc, right? Uh, you could have... Rushmore being maybe like the notebook or something, you know, there's different things like that you could do. That might be a neat way of trying to, to create the overall box set of it. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, strong pick. I mean, I, I think Wes Anderson is obviously a very important director. I mean, we've talked about him um, uh, previously. He's done at least two movies of his, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of my favorite of your episodes is the uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, well, there you go. Um, yeah, you know, and it's funny. That's a film I, I wasn't crazy about initially. I have really grown to like a lot more. Uh, I, I'm not as huge of a fan as, of Wes Anderson as I think you guys are. I mean, I like him a lot. Um, but I, I do think he gets a tad repetitive uh, at times, but uh, still great director, uh, extremely creative, extremely talented, obviously. I, I was just uh, re-watching some... Life Aquatic here recently, and and 
I, that's probably my favorite um, Wes Anderson film at this point. I, I, there's a handful that I, I really love, and it seems like whichever one I've seen most recently becomes my favorite, but Zisu always seems to stand out for me. Yeah, we could do an entire podcast on our you know top five yeah. Wes Anderson films. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. So Brian, if you had to, if you wanted to pick from this box set, the title that you'd think was the most cornerstone key part of it, what would you say would be the the film of his of this box set that you would want to most perfectly send everybody to watch? Well, yeah, I think that it would have to be my favorite Wes Anderson film. I think is is the best, which is the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, I love that film. I think it is a great encapsulation of everything he's good at. It's one of his more emotional films. Um, also like Rushmore a lot. I think that's my second favorite. Um, but Royal Tenenbaums would be sort of the cornerstone of the set. Because you could almost kind of, another way you could do the box set is you could almost hinge it based on that as the centerpiece and then everything flowing out from it, too. In terms of the artwork and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I would probably have it more evenly spread out. But if you were going to set one as as kind of that centerpiece, I think that would be it. All right. Well, a good first pick. Well, thank you. All right. So I suppose we'll we'll switch into that our classic picks here and um, Matt we'll circle back to you. What is your classic pick for the Criterion Collection? Yeah, so we're, we're heading back in time here to 1977, and it's the war film A Bridge Too Far, directed by Richard Attenborough. Uh, so this is a, an interesting film, I, I think, for for several reasons. Uh, it it does depict, obviously, a very important uh, event during World War II, Operation Market Garden. And the film is very procedural in many ways, kind of showing the inception and the execution of that, uh, that operation and how it ultimately failed, of course. Uh, but it, it's also a fascinating film uh, just from a production standpoint and just the cast. The cast of this film is kind of amazing i mean you look at just the list of names you have uh james Kahn, michael kane sean connery um elliot gould gene hackman anthony hopkins lawrence olivier ryan o'neill robert redford uh it's just like uh, a who's who of the top actors at that time and it's pretty amazing that they uh, all all appeared in this picture and I think this film is probably a film that doesn't live up to its potential, right? It's not necessarily a great film, but I think it's an important film insofar as it really encapsulates that uh, kind of classic war epic feeling. And I think this is one of the last films to really do that before war films probably turned a bit more, uh, a bit more cynical, uh, a bit more, uh, dark in their themes. This this film is still very much uh, sort of a rousing patriotic film in many ways, but a tragic one because uh, it's depicting an operation that ultimately failed. And Richard Attenborough, I, I think, is an important director that gets overlooked. I mean, we think about his acting probably more than his directing. Gandhi being, I think, probably his greatest accomplishment uh, as a director. But this film really shouldn't be ignored either. And, and, and the scope of the film is impressive. Uh, visually, I, I think it's well, you know, well shot and it has a really nice mid to late seventies pan and vision look to it. And it's a film I, I just think deserves a new transfer. The, the MGM uh, disc is, is pretty tired at this point. Even 4k I think would be, pretty amazing for this film if they got their hands on the uh the original negative in terms of special features uh a documentary on the actual historical events i think is a no-brainer uh operation martin garden one of those 
events in World War II, I think a lot of people forget about, uh, you know, we always hear about D-Day and we hear about Battle of the Bulge and, and the, the Allied victories, but uh, frequently the, this major defeat gets kind of left by the wayside. And, uh, you know, a retrospective look at the making of the film would be interesting as well. There's quite a few stars in this film that are still around and kind of getting their take on their experience making it would be interesting. And the, the score is, is a really rousing uh, uh, score as well. And the, the name of the composer is escaping me right now. John Addison. Thank you. So an isolated score track would be really nice. I, I think there was a, a, a new soundtrack release done a few years ago. In terms of cover art, I, I always really kind of like the original poster art. I, I'm, as listeners probably know from our previous wish list episodes, I tend to favor original poster art for a lot of films. Uh, and this one has kind of a stylized piece of artwork of the paratroopers dropping in. And I always thought that was a pretty striking, uh, neat image. And the MGM DVD and Blu-ray covers were pretty awful. So even just going with that original art would be a lot more effective. Uh, but yeah, I, it's like I said, one of the, in my mind, one of the last sort of classic studio war pictures that was really trying to deliver on the promise of spectacle, right? I mean, you had these huge, uh, the whole airdrop sequence was shot in camera. I mean, there's no visual effects here. It's, they put up a bunch of, um, bunch of planes, bunch of paratroopers and, and shot it for real. And, and there's some really impressive sequences in this film. So, uh, yeah, that's my pick a bridge too far. Matt, did we talk about this recently and on a side when we were recording something for deep focus? I think we were texting about it actually fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we had a conversation about this at some point in the last couple of months here. So. Yeah, we may have talked about it briefly too when we were recording one night. Yeah, I can't remember. But yeah, it's it's an interesting pick. I was not expecting this for sure. A good pick though, I say. Though again, I'm starting to sound like a broken record. I haven't seen this film in forever. Well, Brian, the, the, the thing this podcast is bringing to light is you need to watch more movies. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I think, you know, what would be cool extra feature would be maybe an historian's commentary. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't want to go with the, the documentary, uh, uh, or you could have both, I guess. But yeah, sure, a commentary on, on the film itself. That would be a good good idea. Yeah, because I think even just trying to highlight some more specific to because any documentary you're probably not going to do is like it's not going to be a three hour documentary, I guess you know. So I mean, they would do an hour or something like that, but to have a three hour commentary commenting on the specifics of what's being depicted, the accuracy or inaccuracy of it, I think would be actually really pretty useful, and uh, I think it would be actually interesting. Particularly, just uh, the scenes that I always remember most from this film are the ones with. Anthony Hopkins and Maximi- Maximilian Schell, uh, which are really, I think, the highlight of the film, just the way those two interact with each other and that sequence uh, with the battle in the city. Um, so just to even get a little bit of more of an exploration of that and how accurate or true to life it is would be fantastic. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins is, is great. And he doesn't have much screen time, but... Uh, he's heading the, the British paratroopers at Arnhem and there's some interesting little comedy bits too (laughs) during his scenes, but, uh, Gene Hackman. Yeah. I I do have to mention he, he delivers kind of an awkward accent in this film. (laughs) I think he's, uh, meant to be a Polish officer and he's trying to do the appropriate accent and it comes across a little strange. Uh, so not one of Gene Hackman's best performances, I guess, but just the fact that he's in this film uh, brings it up a notch in my book. Yeah, Gene Hackman is is good regardless of what kind of terrible accent he's doing. Yeah, he's just a pretty overall fantastic actor. There's no, there's nothing really wrong he could do in my opinion. Even when he does wrong, he doesn't. When he does it wrong, he's doing it correct in how he does it wrong. Yeah, it's it's probably me that's wrong, and and he's somehow doing it correctly, right? 
his Polish accent is perfect. <laughs> you know what it is? It's the Polish people who have their accent wrong. <laughs> that's that's the answer happen. we're looking for right there. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'll go. I'll take mine, and then Brian, you get to take us home here with your pick. So uh, we are excited and anticipating yours. So Please do. my pick. It's a little bit of an unconventional one. Uh, the 1971 TV movie Duel, directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, I'm putting this up uh, for a couple of reasons. First, I think Spielberg is not represented at all in the collection, but he should be because he is an important director. And I do think this is an important film for two reasons. Number one is that it is what launched Spielberg's career and what he did here. You can see how he took that and developed it into things like Jaws uh, or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's also, I think, important as far as uh, this would be a highlight of those of that certain kind of filmmaking where it was the movie of the week, uh, which has basically disappeared now, but is uh, something that had a longevity to it for a number of decades, and I think probably is worth preserving and rec- uh, recognizing as a part of how movies were made and uh, the connection that exists now between big screen, little screen is, you know, obviously becoming even the distinction there is, is so non-existent at this point, right? So, you know, once upon a time, I think a movie of the week wasn't even thought of as a real movie, but I don't think we'd say that now. And this one, if you watch it, uh, it is just expert, high concept filmmaking and yeah, it was made for a TV, but it plays like any movie that could have been made for a theater back then as well. As a matter of fact, it was re-released uh, overseas in a, a slightly extended version. The original TV version is 74 minutes. The running time for the theatrical cut that was sent to Europe was 90 minutes with some extra scenes that were shot for it. Uh, and I think this is just a fun, solid film. Uh, it's, it's definitely a, a testament to the competency and the strengths of Spielberg as a director uh, and it's also got that kind of young man's energy to it right he was very young when he made this film and you can see it you can see the hunger for filmmaking and for wanting to tell a story and really wanting to just make the most out of this and there's there's some real nice creative touches there's a solid central performance uh, by Dennis Weaver as our as our driver and just the the sense of the the truck, the the Peterbilt 281 truck, uh, tanker truck that's menacing him is just very intimidating. I, I watched this again recently in anticipation of our conversation, and I, I found myself thoroughly absorbed in it as I was watching it again. Uh, as far as special features for this release, I would want to actually see if we could get uh, two different versions of it. So the right now on DVD and Blu-ray, the version that's been released is the 90-minute version. Uh, but I would love it if we could get the 74-minute TV version. And this is partly inspired by the recent 4K release of the John Carpenter's Halloween uh, that had in it the TV edit. So it's got the, the formatted and 4x3 and the, the commercial breaks and all that stuff in there, but without the actual commercials. I thought what would be really cool is if somehow you could actually get all of the commercials that would have aired during its initial broadcast on ABC in November of 1971 uh, to be included in the actual release of it. So you could get the full sense of what it was like watching this with TV interruptions and everything like that, the way it was designed and edited to be originally. Uh, So I think that'd be a really cool thing to do. Uh, I think it'd be great to have a conversation with Spielberg. Uh, He does have some interviews he's done about this. Maybe you could cobble those together or you could get a new one just where he talks about what he did and how he approached making this film. Uh, I think it also would be great uh, just to have a little, uh, the director, or excuse me, the writer for this is Richard Matheson. Uh, famously, he wrote I Legend, uh, and um, or I Am Legend, excuse me. Um, and, you know, you could maybe get some, just a little documentary about him uh, and about what he was, some of his themes that he's exploring here. There's been certainly some commentary made about the film being sort of an exploration of manhood uh, and survival against the odds, the fear of the unknown. So some of those themes that are maybe a part of this very genre-heavy piece uh, would be, I think, an interesting little bit to have as well. And as for the cover art, that what I came up with was the idea that perhaps you could have the 
the the truck, the this the little red, or excuse me, the, excuse me, the car, the red car that our salesman, our unknown salesman, is driving. You could have that maybe inside of a television set, uh, just so it's looking looking very small. And then you could have behind that the massive tr- uh, tanker truck outside of the television set, which could kind of get at the idea of the TV of the week, and then also the theatrical release of the film and sort of that interplay between the TV and the big screen. Uh, so I thought that might be a, a neat way of, of getting at the the kind of some of the history of the film in the cover art. I particularly love the idea of the uh, the TV cut with the commercials. Yeah, that would be a nice, uh, a nice thing to include. It is kind of amazing that Spielberg is not in the collection at all at this point. Um, and, and that occurred to me again recently and I, I i was thinking to myself like what would make it into the collection if you had to pick something and and um yeah this wouldn't be a bad way to go yeah it's not the film of his that i would pick for the criterion if i could pick any of them but you make a good case for it and it would be a, it would be a fun release and making further making your point that i need to watch more movies i have not seen duel really I know. Wow. I'm hanging my head in shame. This, I think, might have been... I, I saw this back when it was broadcast on TV. Not in 71, but sometime in the 80s it got rebroadcast on TV. Uh, and I remember watching it uh, with my dad on some uh, on some random night when they rebroadcast this. Before I even knew who Steven Spielberg was. I, I probably saw this when I was four or five years old. I don't know how old I was. I was very young. Uh, so it might be the first Spielberg film I ever saw. It's always wow. interesting they didn't release this theatrically in the U.S. Um, I, I don't know if I can think of many other TV movies that got an international release, but not a domestic one. That's it's kind of an oddity in that regard. Well, especially because you would have thought in the '70s at some point they'd have been like, "Hey, let's cash in and make some money off of releasing this theatrically." Yeah, yeah. When he was becoming a big name. Yeah, it's a good pick. I, I think. Um, is this actually? Is this on Blu-ray right now? I think it is, isn't it? It is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. The ninety-minute version. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I think you mentioned that, right? So, I I remember when the the first DVD came out and how that was kind of a special thing because uh, it seemed to be a, sort of a forgotten Spielberg film, right? And it never really got a good video release. But um, yeah, it, it would be. Uh, kind of an appropriate landmark uh, to usher Spielberg into the collection. All right. Now, Brian, all eyes turn towards you. What is your classic pick? I feel, again, the need to uh, to preface my pick. Uh, But I really like it when Criterion kind of goes with some of the bigger name directors and movies. Um, I love that they released The Rock. Uh, and Armageddon, and I, I enjoy when they do movies like that. And uh, and this kind of harkens back to uh, one of Nate's picks from a few years ago, which I know Matt found controversial. Uh, Nate's pick of True Lies, um, which has yet to uh, see release on Criterion. So I'm not sure that the right people are listening to this. <laughs> uh, but in the same vein, uh, I'm going to pick a, a little known film from the year 1988. Uh, directed by a fellow named John McTiernan. It's called Die Hard. Uh, this is just one of the great action movies of all time. And uh, I think, obviously, it, it has um, it, it's had its share of releases. It's not neglected um, in terms of Blu-ray or 4K releases. Um, but it is neglected in terms of having good special features, which the releases that are around... Um, I think have existed since the DVD release, if not maybe the Blu-ray release, but maybe as far back as the original DVD release. Um, And so uh, I would love to see Die Hard's place as a pinnacle of 80s action films cemented by inclusion into the Criterion Collection. And I, so when I think about special features that I really like, um, I kind of long for the, the old school commentaries when people just, you know, got on the mic and said whatever came to mind. Um, I enjoy, uh, what is it, Ben Affleck's Armageddon commentary where he's just 
talking about how ridiculous it is that they got drillers to train to be astronauts. Um, so I would love for them to get uh, Bruce Willis and uh, Reginald Vell Johnson together, maybe, you know, give them their liquor of choice and then have them just reminisce about making the film, uh, either as a commentary track, well, preferably as a commentary track. I think that would be the way to do it. Um, as for the art, I was trying to think of what an appropriate scene to depict was, and I ended up kind of just Googling for, you know, diehard inspired art, and I found something that I think would be great. It's a, it's a black, or sorry, not black, a white and red kind of a poster um, with the Nakatomi Plaza in the center and some other buildings down around it. So the sky is red, the Nakatomi Plaza is mostly white, and then it's got uh, an image of, uh, of Bruce Willis kind of in the center of the Nakatomi Plaza holding a gun. It's a really cool piece of art. I think it would, you know, touch it up a little bit. It would make a great Criterion cover. So that's my classic pick. So how do you feel about Die Hard? Well, first of all, great film. I mean, I, I can't argue with your pick on this. Um, but it, one thing that fascinates me about this is in recent years, it seems to have been rebranded as a Christmas film. Uh, how do you feel about that? <laughs> So, in fact, that was part of the inspiration for picking it for your Christmas episode. Uh-huh. I am 100% on board. Uh, I enjoy watching this at Christmas time. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm down with it. I know Nate isn't, I, but it sounds to me like you are not as well, Matt. Well, I, I'm just waiting for Eyes Wide Shut to be branded a Christmas film. <laughs> I want Lethal Weapon to get its due credit as a Christmas film. Yeah, it should. It should. <laughs> if Die Hard is a Christmas film, Lethal Weapon is a Christmas film. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. But I don't think it's a Christmas film. <laughs> I think it is a film at Christmas, not a Christmas film. Well, sure. But, you know, let's let's just watch good movies at Christmas time that involve Christmas. And we can call them Christmas films. <laughs> I can't argue it. This is—I mean, this is a classic, and it is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, action film ever made. So I think it would definitely have every right to be in the uh, the Criterion Collection. What would be a maybe a cool little extra feature thing? It would be. Have you guys seen online? It's a, it's a, it's a fake. It's not something that's actually sold. But the Die Hard Nakatomi uh, Nakatomi Plaza uh, Christmas Tree Topper. <laughs> I have not seen this. You got to look this I haven't up. Seen it, either. it is absolutely hilarious. And so, if you could, if Criterion could put this out and have the box be basically a Christmas tree topper, I'd be totally on board with that. Does it like light up and look like it's on fire or something like that? Or? Yeah, it's got like the big, huge fireball on top of it, and, and Bruce Willis <laughs> jumping over the side. Oh and yeah! So. Wow, there it is. That's perfect. I need to talk to my wife about taking off our <laughs> topper and putting this on. So I, I don't I, again. I don't think it's a real thing that's for sale. But if it was for sale, I would pay. I would pay money to get it. There are enough pictures of it. Oh uh, well, here's one made of Legos. It's not quite the same. Oh well. But what would be also cool would be to maybe just get a, a documentary about because this was a film that you know it's based on a novel. The uh, the contract uh, like required them to offer the part for uh, Frank Sinatra initially. Because he had been what? in the previous novel adaptation by the same author, and so they had, I think, a contractual obligation to send it to seventy-some-year-old <laughs> Frank Sinatra to see if he wanted wow. to do the part. Thankfully, he said no. Um, uh, but I, I know, like, they tried to get Schwarzenegger and Stallone to take this part. So I'd be—I would actually really be interested in seeing almost the like a pre-production history of this film, not just the stuff about how they made it, but just about all the politics and the shopping around of the script and the development of it and you know, obviously it was the original novel is really just a terrorist attack it's not the the robbery part something that McTiernan came up with and maybe just to see a little bit more about how they developed that because I think that's a big part of why this film works so well is that it's made it to a heist film not just a terrorist yes. film um, so yeah this is a great pick yeah I mean and you talk about having Schwarzenegger Stallone in it I think you know that would have been interesting—the alternate universe version of this film with those, with those actors. Um, 
But it's hard to imagine anybody but Bruce Willis in that role, right? I mean, and it's hard to imagine them bringing the same sense of humor that Willis brought to the role. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons the movie is, is so enjoyable. It's that it's a great action film, but it's also just very funny. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of the ultimate everyman, right? I mean, you definitely relate to him, and he's pretty charismatic. But at the same time, he's convincing as yes. this reluctant action hero, right? And that that's a, a tough balance. Um, yeah, you never say this guy couldn't do this. Yeah. He's believable yeah. in every scene. Yeah. Well, and I think even just it is insanely over the top, and you know somebody I think did a, a video years ago about all the ways that John McLean would have actually died in this film. But as you're watching it, you don't feel that way, and it seems very right. grounded compared. I mean, just something as simple as the fact that they show him with his bleeding feet. You know, just those things they did back then that made it much more grounded than your typical action film of the last ten years. Uh, would be, I think, also just a refreshing thing and something rightly to be honored. Absolutely. Well, that's a great... Brian, I think I can speak for Matt and say we're glad you joined us and we're hap- We're hoping you'll come back and join us again. Well, I'd love to. Thanks very much for having me. I'm, I'm glad that my picks uh, didn't get me booted immediately. <laughs> well, well, we'll just talk about you behind your back after the episode's over, so, you know. Yes. Well, well, that's nothing new. So. We're, we're going to do a postscript episode that's going to talk about how we apologize for this. And <laughs> Sure. You'll have to figure out how to block that exclusively from my podcast yeah. feed. No, please come back. This is this is a lot of fun, for sure. Well, if we're, if we're well, doing thanks. a Wes Anderson film, we're for sure going to have to have you on for it. Please do. Right. I'd love to come back. So, Well, thanks uh, for joining us, getting together here, guys, and thanks for all of our listeners for being a part of this epic attempt to get Criterion to put the movies that we want into their collection. Um, Join us next month. Uh, Matt and I will be discussing Lucchino Visconti's The Leopard. Uh, Matt, or excuse me, Brian, have you seen that film? Uh, The answer is no, Nate. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there you go. It's a great film, and it is available on Amazon Prime for those who want to watch it before our next podcast. Uh, so, but we will be releasing that in January. Thank you very much and keep collecting. I'll, I'll say that title one more time. <laughs> it's the assassination. <laughs> it's the assassination of. Uh, oh, jeez. Easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I said it right the first time, didn't I? I think okay. so, but go ahead and try and it again. You better not keep this in, man. <laughs> it's oh, it's, it's staying you know. in now. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. <laughs>